Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Read A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 138, Catalan 3 in a Storm of Swords. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. It's, you know... It's a hell of a time. We just made a vow. We oh. made a vow, Eliana, to be uplifting... <laughs> I think we can do it. I legitimately think we can do it, you know? I don't. We just gotta stay ahead of ourselves. Yeah, you know, keep our head on straight. Yeah, keep our heads on straight, and we can Uh, definitely do it today. As we, you know, hang out with everyone. Uh, (laughs) This is the one where Lord Rickard dies, everyone. And the other seven people. buckle up. Yeah, and the kids. And the the kids, and the guards. Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. Okay, we're doing great. We're doing great. We're staying uplifted before we get into a storm of swords today. Let's do our housekeeping up top. Keep it neat. Keep it fast. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. (laughs) Keep it secret. Keep it safe. If you're a patron... In the stranger tier and above, five US dollars and above, you're going to get a special episode at the very end of the month about Rob Stark. It is going to be Girls Gone Canon covering Rob Stark's POB. What does that mean? That means we're going to look at stuff through Rob's 15, 16 year old little wolf eyes. Absolutely. So buckle up. It's going to be sad. It's going to be fun. Maybe we'll get you know, hungry. Friends you made along the way. Yeah. yeah. Hungry like the wolf. The wolf. <laughs> yes. I'm Rob Stark. I'm gonna die and. But that's not all that's yeah. happening here in the month of September, which is a very busy month. Eliana, what's happening over on Discord for our Thunder Tier and Above patrons? Yeah, so Thunder Tier and Above patrons get access to our patreon discord and once a month we do a brunch slash happy hour this month it is going to be on sunday september 26th from 1 to 3 p.m eastern standard time or daylight time i don't know when we switch anyway i know that people care but we're not there anyways eliana time do e t phone home oh my god uh et discord home our theme our theme this September, as we transition from one season into the next, is going to be mythos. Yeah, mythos, mythological lore. We yes. are into lore. You know, I'm excited about it. Really, the reason why we want to go with mythos is because I'm having a wedding reception, right? I had that beautiful Rhaegar Liana secret wedding this year, if you don't know. Catch up. Uh, On Naboo. Love of my life in the woods, right? In Naboo, yes. <laughs> Anakin, you're tearing me apart. Uh, and I don't know, we're doing a little wedding reception for some close friends this autumn. And we're doing like Persephone theme. We're doing myth a lot. I'm going to have pomegranates at those tables, motherfucker. Maybe some golden apples, if you're not Ooh. careful. So, I don't know. Mythos feels around. right. We're mm-hmm. going to yeah, we're going to definitely eat some figs and have some lore. Yeah. So Discord brunch slash happy hour this month will be mythos themed. Bring your myths, bring your folklore. Bring your squid bring gods. Yeah. Yeah. And afterwards, I'm so excited. We're ending early, right? We're ending at three. Yeah. Our friends from A Thousand Eyes and One podcast are doing their Wine on an Empty Stomach book yes. club. Where they cover book a different club. Yeah. They've been last month was like really great last month for august they did 
The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin. Well, I, I guess they kind of started it and said that for a few months earlier. And it's great because um, it's a book that's very much about New York City, and both of them have this perspective of living in New York. But this month's book is going to be The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman, and they'll be doing that stream about that book at 3 p.m. on Sunday, September 26th. Yes, so after you're done with brunch slash happy hour with us that Sunday, you are going to have to scoot on over to their YouTube channel, and we will link it below. Make sure you subscribe and check them out. I love those streams. They they have fun. Yeah. They have a lot of fun and similar humor to us in some aspects, and I think they're just really funny gals. They are. They are. And, like, yeah, really great streams. So do check that out. I have to go read that book, but... Um, in preparation, that, yeah. yeah. In preparation for that, I read, I read the city we became because they were doing it, and Same. yeah, especially because I, I was really excited for them to do that. So I highly, highly recommend just any N.K. Jemisin. I think yeah. it's just good genre approaching stuff. There's so many books. Like I'm like forcing myself. There gets to a point where you're just like reading Aswaf, and you have to Absolutely. force yourself out of it. You have to. I love Aswaf, but there are just so many other amazing books in similar or asimilar genres to this that rock, and you're going to shut yourself off thinking of the Starks all the time if you don't read them. Absolutely. And I just like, you know, sometimes I, I want to, yeah, there are other worlds to visit. Right now I'm working through, I didn't realize, I think they're also reading Stormlight Archive, so I'm making my way through that. Mm. I know a couple of our friends mm-hmm. have done that. And uh, I found out, I didn't realize that the final Expanse book is coming out in two months, so I might finally get scooting along on that. Man, I have a lot to read. Yeah. I've got lots to read is what you're saying, Eliana. We also have a couple of other books that we might read, but those are those are things we're thinking about. Spoilers, you'll hear more about that very soon. But to talk about books we are reading, we are rereading the Amber Spyglass from His Dark Materials. We put that out every last Friday of the month. So if you are ready to listen to the Amber Spyglass or some discussion about it, we'll be putting another episode out this month at the end of the month, the last Friday of the month. Uh, And every month we put that out. Every month an episode will probably be done next spring, next summer. That's a good but time. Our hearts won't be. Yeah, no, we're gonna be pretty, pretty Sad. fucked up. Yeah, Sad. I'm already like yeah. Catalan's bad enough, and now I have to read the Amber Spyglass. This is bullshit. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna make our own happiness now, and we're gonna be uplifting this episode. <laughs> we craft our own serotonin. Do we, Miss Sarah? Tony, Miss Sarah. Sarah? I, I was thinking of Miss. Sa- Do you remember Sarah Bellum from the Powerpuff Girls? Yeah, Sarah Miss Bella. Yeah, Miss Bella. That beautiful yeah. ginger, curly bosomed woman. I love her. Yes, love Miss Bella. Yes. Miss Sarah. Oh <sighs> uh, my God! Well, Eliana, let's get into our lightning round. Without further ado, we aren't going to stop for any emails or tweets and notes this week. We will come back next week with some. I am sure. Until then, let's talk about what we missed in the chapters between Catalan 2 in A Storm of Swords and Catalan 3 in our lightning round, starting with John 2. Egret saves John with a lover's lie. Sansa 2. Sansa gets a sparkly new dress. Arya 3. Arya learns the origin story of the Brotherhood Without Banners. Samuel 1. Sam the Slayer defeats another. Yes, he does. That's my boy. That's my favorite chapter. So good. And another. He took another step. Uh, It's (sighs) so good. It's so good. The writing's so good. I can't wait till we get there. Anyway. 
That's my son, and I love him. Speaking of sons I don't love, Tyrion III, Tyrion's role in the war becomes a little more complex as he's set to wed a wolf. Tywin creates war melodrama with his quill. Chloe, the son I don't love. Okay, Tywin Lannister, whatever. <laughs> and that brings us to A Storm of Swords, Catelyn Three, The man who passes the sentence must swing the sword. As the rain falls, Catelyn thinks, is this the sound of a falling kingdom? Ugh, I'm destroyed, and honestly, so is the Stark camp. Silence has fallen in the River Run Hall as dead Lannister children are placed on the dais. In the quiet, Catelyn hears Grey Wind howl. A castle away, he can smell the blood, the scent of death and ruin. She stands at the left of Rob, and for a moment she feels as if she's staring down at her own dead sons. But these boys are much older than Bran and Rickon. Naked and wet, though, they seem smaller. One of the boys had been trying to grow a beard. Pale peach fuzz covered his face and jaw, right above the mark of a knife at his throat. His hair was still wet, as if he'd been pulled from a bath. Yeah, I love the way that, for like a good page or two, the way this chapter starts, you can feel the silence. It's like suddenly there's a noise and I'm like, wow, I didn't realize, like, I was just like holding my breath. It's so quiet. Like, I was feeling that silence and how solemn the scene was. And the emphasis here of likening these two Lannister boys to Bran and Rickon really speaks to how, you know, Catelyn, before she becomes Lady Stoneheart, she's still able to extend this empathy to even the children uh, of her en- of the enemy camp, right? As she thinks of them like her own children, just as again in previous chapters she had thought of how would John's mother feel or how does Cersei feel about her children. Uh, but the loss of so many of her loved ones at the Red Weddings, Mostly mostly Rob, especially, that's the breaking point after having lost so many of her children, causes her to just lose all of that empathy. All bets are off. And even before she dies, right, she kills Jingle Bell and does the very thing that they are condemning Rickard for this chapter. And then she does it again and again. But <laughs> <laughs> And again. And again. again. You know, whatever. And some more. Yeah. Next yeah. book, I mean. Mm. The wind's a winner. Wait till you read it, folks. We've read it. And... <laughs> Mind blown. I'm sad. Uh. <laughs> not, I'm, not, I'm not sad about the uh. chapter. Surprise. I'm just sad for me. I'm sad about the winds of winter now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were going to be positive, Eliana, when we started this. We yeah, said that right. we would be good. We are we be good happy. We are happy because it looks <sighs> like they died. Pe- no. Um, well, No, it's not happy. You have to restart that. No. The children look like they died peacefully in their sleep. I'm going to keep all that. But his cousin... It says that Willem looks like he might have died peacefully in his sleep. But his cousin, probably Tion, fought for his life with slashes across his arms from blocking the blades and blood trickling slowly from the stab wounds on his chest and stomach. Both boys were pale from imprisonment. They were fair and the blood was shockingly red. Not to bring it back to a POV we've already done, but it does remind me of your artwork you made for Jon Snow with the gashes ah, all over him. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a bit of that. And I, I mean, it reminds me a bit of that in book too, the, the slashes and gashes from blocking the blades and yeah. the blood trickling slowly. But more than that, Stark Garion, 
this scene, this opening scene is ghastly, and the idea of these children being tumbled onto the dais is ghastly. And the first thing I thought of while reading this this week was, this is Robert's Rebellion all over again, right? Uh, this chapter is Rob saying pretty much everything Ned wished he could have said when Tywin Lannister's regime delivered mm. the Targaryen children at the bottom of the Iron Throne, right? The cloth drenched in their blood. And this is the result of what would have happened had Ned convinced Robert to turn away from Tywin Lannister in the war, right? Uh, losing armies, losing the war, the yeah. same allies that would crown him Rob learns also will kill him. Rob is now his own Robert, right? His namesake. He's yeah. surrounded by agents of the Westerlands. He's a prisoner in his own crown with a Lannister wife in a way. Not a Lannister wife, but basically, right? Yeah. And, and part of it, he just keeps cutting off, right? His own paths. The paths mm-hmm. keep closing and they keep getting cornered and... But that's a great that's a great connection to what happened in Robert's Rebellion and the babes wrapped in the cloaks, the children. And you're talking about POVs we've done before, and and that kind of uh, reminded me of again another POV we did before Davos. This is the fate that Davos saves Edric Storm from, mm-hmm. right? Because Edric's also imprisoned and yeah. about to become that, about to be wrapped and presented like a yeah. fucking lamb up for slaughter. Uh, well, yeah, and and roasted. Yum. <laughs> Brown. <laughs> <But yeah. laughs> Uplifting. Flaky. Mm. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm hungry all over oh, again. We're no. keeping it light. Oh no. And oh no. <laughs> Rob wore his crown during this, and it caught in the torchlight. Shadows hide his eyes as he gazes down on these children. Catelyn wonders. Does he see Bran and Rickon as well? She, however, thinks of Sansa and thinks, Will they lay Sansa down naked beneath the Iron Throne after they've killed her? Will her skin seem as white? Her blood is red? Mm. Okay, well, news for Catelyn. She's already been laid naked beneath the Iron Throne, bloody. Right? Like, that was yeah. a clash of kings. That was Rob winning his first handful of up, battles. Catelyn. Yeah. Uh... I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hit a mother for thinking of her daughter, right? Like, good for you for thinking of Sansa in this time of need. But this has already been the king of yeah. Westeros's intent ever since Rob started winning, right down to the language used, right? Like, you look back at a clash of kings, Boros, make her naked. She thought her legs might break from the force of the blow. It will be over soon. Beat her bloody, Joffrey said. We'll see how her brother fancies. I mean, had Tyrion the okay Lannister not stepped in, this would have already happened. That being said, there is something very parallel with Tyrion, right? In the chapter right before this, the chapter before this is Tyrion 3. And Sansa's kind of the subject of this chapter for him because he's being told by his father he has to marry her. Open your eyes. The Stark girl is young, nubile, tractable, of the highest birth, and still a maid. She's not uncomely. Why would you hesitate? Why, indeed. A quirk of mine. Strange to say, I'd prefer a wife who wants me in her bed. Tyrion knows he and Sansa are merely pawns in his father's game, in his plot. Much like Tywin kind of revealing in the last chapter that Jane and Rob are also pawns in his plot. 
Uh, he kind of lightly says, Ah, they're their parents' children, Tyrion. Don't worry about it. I think there's something interesting and also happening here that Tyrion, in the last chapter, thinks a lot about Liza Aaron, who comes up in this mm. chapter, almost sympathizing for Liza, uh, knowing that she became the woman she did because they married her to John Aaron. And he doesn't really know how close to being right he is, but he gets pretty close, right? He literally thinks in the last chapter, oh, they did this to her. They married her to John Aaron. Of course, thankfully, we're going to get Sansa out of this one, right? Before that, minus some of the trauma. She's still got to deal with that, but we'll get her out of there before the weird old man marriage, hopefully. Uh, but Liza doesn't get out quite alive, Rip. No, she does not. And <laughs> I think that's a, that's a great point that this has already happened to Sansa, unfortunately, right? And She died. No. Inside. Oh, I was like, why would you say that? Um, But there's a lot of, yeah, I know, right? I was like, this isn't my (laughs) co-host. She, there's a lot of Sansa, I think, thought of in this chapter, and we're going to talk about her quite a few more times coming up. But for now, Enyar is standing to Rob's right, a hand on the back of his father's seat, eyes puffy from sleep. They'd all been awakened in the black of night from their dreams. Catelyn wonders, were they good dreams, brother? Do you dream of sunlight and laughter and a maiden's kisses? I pray you do. Her own dreams were dark and laced with terrors. What language? Great language to be associated with Mother Merciless, right? Yeah. For the woman who comes back as a fire white, dark and laced with terrors. Yes. Uh, It's a little dry, right? Like, obviously, Catelyn and Edmure are beefing right now yeah we know this we all know this so i think there's a good point to take that this is a little scathing right in remark yeah i agree but but on that same tune on that same note i think it's indicative of catalan's personality of fiercely protecting her family her nature even in her grief even in her anger if she could she would still try to keep those nightmares from her baby brother I think that's really obvious uh, that Catelyn would do anything to be able to protect those around her. They love each other, but definitely beefing. Yeah, this feels a little bit kind of like a similar vibe to, you know, Sansa pitied them, Sansa envied them, and then Catelyn, yeah. you know, thinking the same of the soldiers in Renly's camp, because I'm kind of like, so this is anecdotal, and I don't know if you feel the same. When I haven't gotten enough sleep or I've woken up in the middle of the night, maybe I just haven't paid enough attention to my face. <laughs> I don't think I'm puffy. My eyes are puffy if I've been crying, right? Like, mm-hmm. crying, like, before sleep or whatever. So I'm just like, was Edmure crying? And I'm also like, I don't know why we would assume. As you said, right? It's kind of scathing because I'm like, Edmure has just, like, come back from a battle. His dad is dying, too. So I don't know that he's having good dreams. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I think he's avoiding his dreams as the bigger thing. Probably. You know what I mean? That's a great point, Yeah. And I think that's part of it. I think a lot of the war we're going to talk about in this chapter and how it starts to get to Rob, that's the biggest representative of it. But I mean, think of these men battling around him and what they're probably avoiding. Mm -hmm. PTSD. Captains and Lord Bannerman are standing around the room. Some of them are armed. Some are in various states of sleepy dishevelment. Sir Reynold Westerling and Ralph Spicer are among them, but Jane is spared the scene. She's still asleep. 
Catalin wonders if she would have played with these boys when they were children, right? Looking down at the corpses of Tion Frey and Willem Lannister. Yeah, the Westerling place is not so far. And I, I really, just as an aside, wish we had gotten, you know, Jane's thoughts on these deaths. I understand why we don't. I don't think, like, George thought it was necessary for the story or, like, you know, we also don't have her POV. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of do want a Jane POV. I don't think we're going to get one. I really don't. But I, I suddenly realized I do kind of want one. I think it would be better than a lot of the, the crazy predictions for yeah, that well, intro, right? I, I'm partial. I think I've, I've expressed this. I'm partial to the theory of the Ill and Pain one. I also, yeah. I mean, we also know I'm a big Ill and Pain stan too, so. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it sucks because it's like, if she did get a POV, it's because she dies. So it's not fair. So I don't right. want her to have POV. But also I'm like, Same. she's going to die. I mean, her name's Jane, so nothing good can happen to it her. It rhymes. You know what I mean? With pain. It literally rhymes with pain. Ugh. Uplifting. Rob speaks, commanding the small John <laughs> to tell his father to bring them in. He obeys. The great John marches prisoners through. Men step back as they enter, as if treason is contagious. Who will get it next? Both captors and captives look similar. They're large, burly men with thick beards, clad in mail or sewn rings and weaponry. Two of the great John's men are wounded, and three of their prisoners as well. The North is hard and cold and has no mercy, Ned had told her when she first came to Winterfell a thousand years ago. Wow, a thousand years ago. I feel that <laughs> way about these past two years, too. Um, I love the the imagery here of the captors and captives looking alike. Really goes to show how the camp is falling apart and men are turning on one another. But I also find this line specifically of the North is hard and cold and has no mercy. That one, very interesting for a couple of reasons. On one hand, as we've been discussing, Catelyn is this blend of Northern and Southern culture. She's very much assimilated in many ways to Northern culture. And I feel like that continues as her storyline goes, and even into the Lady Stoneheart part, it seems she becomes harder and colder, right? Even though she comes back as a firewhite, she exemplifies this idea of having no mercy as she seeks vengeance for the North, very much the she remembers, the North remembers, right? And losing that any mercy that she has ever had. And then another way that I think it's interesting is that yeah, I do see this idea of being hard and cold and having no mercy exemplified in Northern culture, right? But it ends when it comes to innocence, right? I think Ned is our first window into Northern culture. He's our character that really introduces that, as is Catelyn, as we've discussed at the beginning of her chapters. She's sort of the exposition and is able to give us more of that information as an outsider, but Ned is the one living through it. And Ned models this lack of mercy, again, until it comes to innocence, because his first appearance, after all, is administering northern justice rather than mercy through that brand chapter. But the Ned that we see through his own POVs is full of mercy, especially for children. As you were talking about earlier, Chloe, right, with the the innocence laid at Robert's feet. Like, this is a huge part, and it's where his arc comes to end in the first books, right? Where he shows mercy specifically to his enemies, not vengeance. Uh, the family that injured his son, and he knows that, right? He gives them mercy for the sake of those innocent children, not choosing to let them die, as Rickard Karstark has pursued here. And 
Speaking of injured sons, uh, as I've said a few times across our episodes, I do think we're going to see the Stark Children's arc become one about mercy in different ways. For example, of course, the way Arya is learning it, the way Sansa is, and Bran, I think, is going to end up showing forgiveness to those who directly hurt him. Like, Bran's got a lot of people who hurt him in his life. So I really look forward to the day that... (laughs) You know, not to get sad again, we see those themes develop in their stories uh, and, and how it's going to eventually play out uh, with those themes of mercy and justice in Lady Stoneheart's progression. Yeah, mercy's totally prominent here. Uh, and Ned, you're bringing up great points about him that, like, he didn't even really want to deliver mercy, right? As we'll talk about later, it's not like he really wanted that. He didn't want to kill. Sandor says to Sans, like, you're an idiot. Of course your dad wanted to murder. That's all there is in life if you're a man. Murder. But it's not true of Ned. For yeah. Ned, the murder literally took a toll on his life, on his soul. Yeah. And I do think there's something interesting here in this thought from Catalin of when she first came to Winterfell a thousand years ago and feeling like such a different person and how each of her daughters, Sansa and Arya, both have thoughts about who they were. A thousand years ago, right? A thousand years ago, they were a different person. And here she is having that similar thought of what different person she was. And I feel like that's so interesting to see when you're displaced from your home, the place you came into yourself. For Catalan, it wasn't her home. River Run is her home. But the North became her home, yeah. right? It, it, In a way, it nourished her just enough to become who she is now politically and, I mean humanly speaking you know as existence as existential as you could be and then inhumanly speaking later god shit (laughs) eliana so rob counts out the prisoners he counts five out of eight prisoners present and the great john's like yes two were killed when they were taken a third is dying right now currently Hmm. they also killed two of edmure's men not great karstark says this was no murder any man who steps between a father and his son and their vengeance asks for death. Catalan's throat is dry. She thinks, these two boys died so my daughters might live. <laughs> Again, so many innocents dying, and, and this time specifically for House Stark, and not just the children. I think there's a really strange parallelism parallelism here between the deaths of Tion and Willem with the deaths of the Miller's sons, the ones who died so that Bran and Rickon could escape unnoticed. Those are the murders, really, the Miller's sons that kind of set House Stark onto this path that leads to destruction, even to this point of tragedy and the deaths of, you know, even more innocents, like this this endless cycle, as Kat and Rob, they don't realize it, but they're really grieving these nameless children. And I, I think someone should, right? Speaking of POVs we don't get, we don't get a glimpse at all of the Miller's pain when he, he realizes the deaths of his sons and his wife. And, you know, with those prices paid using the Miller's sons and then these two young Lannisters, we start to see Theon and Catelyn's storylines interestingly converge, both dying and then becoming rebirthed in a sense. We've obviously discussed it before because we've done these chapters with Reek clearly being a changed Theon, you know, another name, another person, yet as the story progresses, still Theon. There's still Theon there. Just as as we've been finding through this read-through, Lady Stoneheart is, of course, changed, and those supernaturally so. 
and also literally undead. Uh, the seeds for who she is are still very much Catelyn. And then as you were talking about Chloe, uh, Ned's desire to save the children and seeking justice for them. These acts are supposedly done in the name of House Stark and for his children, which is, I think, very, very much not how Ned Stark envisioned the survival of his house, right? Yeah. And Catelyn, too, right? It, yeah. It's fair to say that here Catelyn is looking back as she thinks, they died so my daughters might live. I don't know. Man, Ned died for our sins. Uh, really? He did. I'm real sad thinking about it. He was just like, just take me. Fuck it. Yeah. These kids, these Lannister children, these Stark children, none of them deserve to suffer because we fucked it up. You know, and Catelyn yeah. thinks that yeah. too. She's like, how is this happening to these boys who weren't even like involved? Yeah. You know, we had them separated. We had them protected, but not protected enough. Mm-mm. Maybe you shouldn't be taking these boys prisoner. So Rob declares this is no vengeance. Tion Frey didn't kill Torin. Willem Lannister didn't slay Eddard. It's folly and murder. Karstark's sons died honorably on a field. Goddamn. I mean. Yeah. I am going to get nitpicky with Rob on semantics here. Uh, I agree that what is what has happened to Tion and Willem is wrong, but I don't think that I agree with Rob. I think that I don't think that what Rickard Karstark did is justice. It's definitely not justice. But I think it might be vengeance, right? I do think it does seem to be aligned with how the story has been progressing and showing us what vengeance is through Lady Stoneheart's story, through I mean even through Liza's actions and also through what seems to be about to happen with with the Martells, right? Vengeance, it, it's mm-hmm. hungry, it's bottomless, and it's indiscriminate. Yes. It, it doesn't mean that it's good. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's gonna make you feel better that you just hollowly did this. It um, always wants more. It's not targeted. Yeah. It, yeah. it is. It's like an e- it's a parasite that's just eating away. We see yeah. that with Catelyn in the afterlife, right? That she's just a parasite. She's not a real person anymore. She's just killing for, you know, the sake of killing. And mm-hmm. Karstark, that's the thing. It's like, it's literally the onion meme, right? Of like, the worst person you know makes some good points. Uh, oh, that, <laughs> that, that, this- that onion meme. I was like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of onion things, Shrek. Um. <laughs> <laughs> different onion meme but it is it's like when the worst person you know makes a bunch of really good points and Karstark is that throughout this entire chapter he's like yeah. that horrible conscience yeah. voice right like he's that beat that like he's a piece of fucking you know all his opinions are wrong but he keeps saying these sneering snide things to you that you're like fuck off yeah you're right but fuck yourself like get out of here you little shit yeah, I don't know like, he if is. he's right, but they're, as you said, they're like good points. I'm like, huh, hmm, this is an interesting thought, for sure, and for Karstark. These are some of them, right? Yeah. Like, he's like, those children are kin of the Lannisters, of the Kingslayer, and only blood can pay for blood, Karstark says. That's very, that that's something that we see in the Dance dance of the Dragons, you know, with uh, that idea of only blood, yeah, blood and cheese, blood can pay for blood. It is. It's playing dirty. I mean, this is war. You know, this isn't just like super happy fucking medieval fun time. 
I do uh, love that video. <laughs> I know you do, which is why I quoted it. Thank honestly, you. like Thank why you. I brought it up. I was thinking of you, but I appreciate it isn't you. that. You know what I mean? Like this is war, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that Rob's treating it at all like Renly's camp. Renly's camp treats it a lot differently, right? Yeah. But you know, this is this is war. It gets dirty, and Karstark is really bringing the first of that. Rob says the blood of children can pay for blood. Remembering, you know, these are 12-year-old squires, Rickard. And Rickard says squires die in every battle. But Rob argues they were captives. They weren't to die. He tells Rickard to look at them. And Rickard says, tell your mother to look at them. She slew them as much as I. As you said, Karstark makes points. But this one, I'm like, that's not true, Rickard Karstark. That was too far. Too far. It's the way your mother looked at me that one time. She made me so mad I had to kill some kids. I know, right? Okay. Yeah. So understandably, Rob disagrees, uh, as do we, laying the treason at his feet. And Karstark then, this this is an interesting point, though. He asks how it's treason to kill Lannisters, but not to free them. And then he asks if Rob forgot that they are at war with the Lannisters. And then he, he makes this annoying, like, little jabby line of... In war, you kill your enemies. Didn't your father teach you that, boy? And it's like hitting that same note here again, right? Like that same question that is put in front of Brienne in that Jamie chapter that opens the book, where he shows her the women that are hanged for sleeping with Lannister men, but this time with a slightly different twist. God, it, it is that. And it's like the perfect jab of like everything Rob is insecure about in his reign. Right, like, yeah. In war, you kill your enemies. Didn't your father teach you that, boy? boy. Didn't your yeah. father teach you that before he died, boy? Um, it's very much so meant to be hidden yeah. deeply like that, and everyone's pissed about it. Like they take <laughs> that, they took that personally. Everyone took that Un- personally. Understandably, Eliana. the great John and everyone—they're pissed. They're like, "You just called our king, boy!" And the great John hits him. With his mailed fist, he just strikes him, and Rob's like, leave him, leave him. Karstark spits out a broken teeth, but yet he keeps talking shit. Yes, Lord Umber, leave me to the king. He means to give me a scolding before he forgives me. That's how he deals with treason, our king of the north. Or should I call you the king who lost the north, your grace? (sighs) Excuse me? Yeah. That's dishonorable. Very rude. Very rude. You can't just be saying that. That's that, rude. That's also, that's almost like some treasonous talk. I mean, on top of the mm-hmm. actual treason that was committed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. It's so rude. And picking at Rob's insecurities. And you know what? He's already got insecurities. He's going through puberty. <laughs> He's 16. <laughs> He's got a new girlfriend wife. Trying to make babies, you know? Doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Scotty doesn't know how. Well, the Grey John grabs a spear from a man beside him and he's ready to gut him, but the doors of the hall crash open and in comes the Blackfish and Tully men at arms, rain and lightning storming outside. Very convenient that it was raining during uh, their dramatic entrance. Happy for him. His voice is grim, and Rob takes his leave, asking the Grey John to hold this chamber and hang the other seven men who committed these crimes, even the dead ones. He goes, let them feed the crows. Oh, wait, the feast? 
the feast? Yeah. Are they going to feast? They are going to feast. Is it a... God, holy shit. It's fascinating. He's like, we don't want to poison the fishes to give them to the crows. I'm like, wow. Some animal favoritism there, Rob. I'm sure the crows are happy for it, though, actually. (laughs) One of the captives falls to his knees, and he's begging for mercy. He's like, I only stood and watched for guards at the door. Rob says, if you knew what Rickard intended, and if you heard their shouts, their screams, their cry of mercy, did you hear those things? Thinking face emoji. The man says, well, I did, but I didn't take any part. Lord Umber, says Rob, this one was only the watcher. Hang him last so he may watch the others die. Okay, so vengeance is bad and what these people did is bad. All right. And also maybe this is like... This is, like, this gray area, right? This sentence from Rob, I understand. And also the action itself, like, as we know, the things that happen in this chapter, they are especially bad for Rob specifically. But I'm not gonna lie, this entire sequence, it's pretty fucking metal. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously gonna talk about this as we move forward, but he, like, had to. He didn't have to, but he had to. It was kind of cool. I know it's not I mean, it was very metal. Yeah. Very metal, and it is the moment... I mean, this is, you see Rob and John and each other at this moment, right? The, yeah, the no fucking prisoners. Uh, we'll talk about John's other execution he's committed soon, but John's got a handful of uh, executions in his plot we gotta talk about. Truly. But. That's a lot of pain, yeah. <laughs> a lot of man pain happening for John and Rob right now. It's hard being 16. It really is. Rob, Kat, and Brynden take their temporary leave. We have uh, more imagery of outside the thunder crashed and boomed. So loud it sounded as if the castle were coming down about their ears. Is this the sound of a kingdom falling? Catelyn wondered. Fucking shivers. <sighs> it is. It, it's, it's so pointed. And I'm like, well, Catelyn, the short answer is yes. The long answer is also yes. But also there's still more books to come. I mean, this is kind of the beginning of the North Remembers plot as we get into it today. This is where it really starts. I mean, Northern Independence starts when Rob is crowned king, but this is really the North wanting vengeance, right? And wanting something in exchange for the pain they're suffering. And the wolves will come again. That's all I can think about right now. The only thing I have keeping me sane, Eliana, is once in a while I just gotta go, the wolves will come again. They will, motherfuckers. They will. A servant enters the other audience chamber to light an oil lamp, but is shooed away by Rob, who keeps the lamp. Only Edmure sits, and then Edmure's like, oh shit, no one else is sitting down. So he stands up. Mood. (laughs) Hate that shit. I would have kept sitting. (laughs) Fuck that. Mood. Yeah, like, power move it. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Rob puts his crown on the table, and the blackfish closes the door. He declares the Karstarks have left. Rob's like, wait, what, all? In a voice that Kat can't quite discern if it's anger or if it's despair. Brendan reiterates, all the fighting men left. They questioned who was remaining and learned from the serving men and wounded that they were instructed to stay and light the fires. Meanwhile, at nightfall, the Karstarks began to leave in ones and twos and then larger groups. Brendan says they've scattered, hunting, that the Karstarks mean to give... Karstark's maiden daughter, Alice, to any man who promises to bring him the head of the Kingslayer. 
Catalan feels ill again to hear of these pawns being used against them. 300 riders, 600 mounts, all the strength of Carhold, gone. Lost by me. By me, may the gods forgive me. Catalan did not need to be a soldier to grasp the trap Rob was in. For now, though, Rob holds the Riverlands, but enemies sit at all sides, except for East, where Liza sat aloof, withholding. So long as Lord Walder withheld his allegiance, the trident wasn't safe either. Admir says, No word can leave Riverrun of this. The Lannisters pay their debts. When he hears... Catalan digs her nails into her palms, thinking of Sansa. Yeah, there's Sansa again. I think this is such a really pointed physical action on the part of Catelyn. The digging of her nails into her palms. It's its a very small physical gesture, but I think it's very heavy. Because the story has really imbued a lot of meaning into Catelyn's hands specifically. Uh, the, that her hands are about that connection, but also protection of her family. These were the hands that were injured, protecting her son, and the ones that held the sword that's quote-unquote swearing uh, Jamie into this crazy plan to save Sansa. And then as she turns those hands on herself, those fingernails that are just digging into the palm of those very same hands were reminded of the action of her nails scraping down her face as her eldest child <laughs> dies in front of her. <laughs> And, and and I feel like this action becomes a physical reflection of her thinking that she is responsible for the undoing of her family and kingdom as her hands turn against her hands. I love the way you've pulled this in uh, for a couple of reasons, especially because we've come from Davos, mm. right? A lot yeah, of people yeah, yeah. might not see the method to our madness, but as your <laughs> resident hand expert, it's me, hand disability expert Chloe, it's uh, her hand job. Oh my god. As somebody that has issues with hand jobs. Wait. Fuck. What? As somebody whose hands job. God damn it. Anyways, so resident hand expert. You know, we came from Davos who has shortened fingers for his god. I mean, for his king. And uh, Catelyn, you know, like you said, gave part of herself to her son to protect him. Her hands but we also have someone we've already covered, Jamie, right? Who also mm. suffers from a tick. Uh, he has a phantom feeling from his hand. He feels himself try to try to flex his fingers, but realizes he has no hand any longer. And John, yeah. John also has a hand that no longer moves, as we've discussed, who tries to flex his hand to keep it moving and has a tick about it, kind of to bring emotional presence into it. Uh, so I really just want to kind of give george a moment you know he did well on bringing in these little ticks about people with injuries to their hands or people with i mean you don't think about it but like your hands are kind of important right like we do a lot of shit with our hands and only kind of eliana knows <laughs> i can't do normal shit with my hands man it's a lot i just can't and eliana had to write my vows for my fucking wedding for me like she didn't, even hand, use, with she didn't use them <laughs> i looked at them twice thank you very much uh but no but like it is important like you flex your hand you can't move it you feel the phantom tick of a hand that used to be there that used to be the reason why you were basically half a king right half a god jamie lannister was half a god with a sword and Catelyn now has been reduced to this on top of already being reduced to what she is to being Catelyn, to being a woman to being a king's mother a king's yeah. 
widow mother. All she can do is try to protect her children, and even now, she can't. She can't protect her children or her kingdom. And that's a that's a great point in how hands operate throughout A Song of Ice and Fire, that it, it's very meaningful for a lot of other characters, and oftentimes, you know, hands are associated with ability, right? Not Not like physical ability, but just like even the will to be able to do things, power, etc. And and we find here, as, as Catelyn's hands are balled into fists and unable to do anything but but hurt herself, digging into maybe where her scars are, that she finds herself more and more without any ability, without any power to do things. And also that her her son is starting to find himself in those predicaments as well as, again, more and more the way is closing. Yes, yes. Well, Rob doesn't really like Edmure's plan of, of, which is a little dishonest, and then he like snaps back of like, oh, should he be a liar as well as a murderer then? And and I think that once more, even though there are many things that Rob is doing that is very much in the vein of his father's lessons, this is again reflecting a misunderstanding of Ned's honor, but also it's kind of like not rob's fault because ned had like a shit ton of secrets that he felt were too dangerous to share with anyone including his own family especially you know he found his own chosen family of robert proved too unsafe which is interesting considering that rob is finding that his own chosen family is untrustworthy and and that that chosen family was a huge danger to their own family robert was a huge threat to john because turns out robert was very much in that fuck them kids camp and <laughs> that that's robert baratheon like put him like on that meme fuck you know them kids that's him and because ned's life it was just so full of lies like his shame and the lying and taking on having this bastard he actually dies a liar by taking on also the taint of treason right which is a big deal in this chapter and these are in many ways though as we, the reader, see his most honorable acts, the ones that are the, would be considered most dishonorable. But Rob is still too young. He's 16. He's thrust into the complexities and nuances of life with no time to learn them or to make mistakes, with few mentors, really, who have been through these same things. And he takes great offense to Edmure asking him to lie versus considering the need to lie to protect his family, which is what Ned did. That personal honor should not come above the cost of lives. Especially the cost of lives of innocence, right? Yeah, or Sansa, which is, I mean, it's, it's still, Sansa's that question yeah. here too. Absolutely. For both Sansa of Sansa is the question. That's the one being quietly not said, but for Cat, mm-hmm. it's said. It's mm-hmm. loud in Cat's head. As it was in Ned's. It was. It absolutely was. Edmure says there needn't be lies. He should just say nothing. Bury them, hold their tongues till after war, keep the news from the twins as long as they can until... But the blackfish interrupts him and says, until we can bring the murdered, dead, back to life? Wow. Interesting. This line was very loud. It was Hmm. like the loudest line on this reread. Until we can bring the murdered dead back to life. Hmm. Murdered? Dead? Back to life? Keeping the news from the twins? Seems 
Seems like real funny. Seems real funny that he would say that in this book of all books. It just feels like there's some funny business going on with Catelyn Stark's dead body. Is all hmm. I'm trying to say. <laughs> the murdered dead back to life. But who would do this, such a thing? <laughs> I digress. Rob says what we're all thinking that it's too late for all that. Is the it? truth left with the car starts. Rob owes their father's truth and justice, Willem and Tian. Rickard had defied and betrayed him, and Rob says he has no choice but now to condemn him. There's this line here that Rob says, and I'm just like imagining if you replace the term Lord Karstark with Rob Stark, I feel like you could hear Walder Frey saying these exact same lines. Like, instead of Lord Rickard defied me, betrayed me, I have no choice of but to condemn him but if instead you say rob stark defied me betrayed me i have no choice but to condemn him a thought experiment i mean it's not wrong i know it's not wrong <laughs> it's a thought it, it's hard it's hard and it's interesting you say that right so rob wonders what the car stark men with Roos will do when they've heard he executed their liege for a traitor and he's like Roos must be warned. Which <laughs> I'm over here like, must he? Must you warn him? He doesn't must need he? more warning. Yeah, Must he? I don't There's know. There's something going on that I really like that Rob, who Rob thinks his antagonists are is different than who Rob's antagonists are, right? Mm. So when you're first reading the books, you might think the Lannisters are the antagonists of Rob Stark, but they're not. Like Jamie and Tyrion are cats antagonists mm -hmm. right like these are the people that antagonize cats plot they don't antagonize rob's plot Tyrion, Jamie, liza littlefinger those are all characters for cat but it's so easy to forget that karstark roos walder those are direct antagonizers of rob's plot even theon i yeah. suppose uh, as you said last week, Theon is the little finger of the plot for Rob. All three of these men have so much in common. They're proud and prickly, and they betray him for a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? Pride, ambition, and revenge. Mm. I mean, Walder, Karstark, and Bruce are basically Rob's three treasons, you shall know. Mm. They are, yeah, they really are treasons. That They are literally treason shit. That's a that's such Three a three treasons you shall know. Yeah. Once for blood, love, and gold. Yeah, these are that blood, yeah, love, gold. Yeah, yeah. actually, I, I honestly, I would argue, you know, back when we talked about John with that plot, and uh, we talked a little bit about this with Joe Magician when he was on, if you remember, but we talked about Danny's three treasons, Eamon's three treasons in his life and john's three treasons mm -hmm. possibly all being parallel but it does feel like george has really given each hero three treasons to break their plot yeah very interesting here and well they succeed rob dies <laughs> <laughs> brendan reminds rob that karstark's heir was captive at harrenhal from the green fork and Rob says his name is Harrion. A king had best know the name of his enemies, don't you think? And Brynden asks if he's certain that Harrion would be an enemy. And Rob reminds him, well, I'm about to slay his father. But Brynden points out, well, there are sons who hate their fathers, though. And he's like, that? I mean, that could be the Lord of Carhold. 
he could be one of those. And Rob doesn't think, like, Harriet could, like, really forgive him for openly killing his father, even if he doesn't like him. And that, regardless, his own men would turn on him, and that the North remembers. And I think this is an interesting line that in this chapter, because it's sandwiched between Tyrion and Jamie's chapters. And as we know, the Lannisters have a complicated relationship with their father. Like, both both of them dislike Tywin in different ways, but where, like, I think Jamie more feels betrayed by Tywin, where, whereas, like, Jamie, he feels betrayed by Tyrion killing Tywin. He, he he doesn't feel like he can really forgive Tyrion for killing their father, even though he didn't really like Tywin that much. And I also think it, it seems like a really heavy line in these chapters, because it's following that revelation about Liza, right? Like, Liza obviously also has a complex relationship with her father, and I don't know that she would really hold that much against someone who killed her father. Yeah, I mean, if you gave her the crossbow, do you think she'd do it? I don't think so, but... I wouldn't put it past her to, to give it to someone and be like, you can do this for me. She definitely got a little crazy at the end, so... That's true. She was willing to do it to Sansa. I don't know if she like would be willing to do it to Hoster or not. Not because like she wouldn't want to. I, I think it's... It's a lot. She did it for the internalized misogyny. Yeah, I mean, like... Good for you, girl. Tyrion was pushed there, you know? He, he had, like, yeah. that one line. He's like, if you do it... I'll do this. I don't know if Liza had that because Hoster was begging for forgiveness on like Tywin. Had she been at River Run while he died, though, it would be like, say Tansy again, motherfucker. You know? Yeah. <laughs> say it again, bitch. Uh, you know, this is the first iteration of the North Remembers, though. This huh. is the first time we get the phrase in the whole series. Huh. Fascinating. I didn't the know North that. The North Remembers. Yep, this is it. This is the beginning. This the beginning is the start of, the end. of something oh. new. Feels so wrong to die here. Edmir uses this opportunity to say, <laughs> why don't we pardon Lord Karstark? You know, spare him, keep him in chains. Cat's like, oh, so like a hostage? And Edmir immediately is like, yes, you're so smart, Cat. I agree. A hostage. <laughs> and she's like, that's not what I was. He tries okay. to Sansa, Sansa to Joffrey it. You're so (laughs) good to see it. (laughs) Admir's like, thank God you said it, Kat. I thought no one would. You're so smart. And she's like, God, fuck you. Uh, Yeah, he says, tell Harian, as long as he's loyal, his dad won't be harmed. Otherwise, if they lose Karstark as well as Frey, there's no hope. Brablet's out of breath and he repeats, yes, no hope. No word from Sir Roderick. No word from Walder Frey to our new offer. Silence from the eerie. He turns to Kat, asking if her sister will never answer them. That he doesn't believe none of their birds arrived to her. Catalin realizes Rob is looking for comfort, but she's like, mm, but my Kang needs truth. So she gives it to him. Liza won't lend her aid, she says. Liza was never brave. When we were girls together, she would run and hide whenever she'd done something wrong. Perhaps she thought our Lord Father would forget to be wroth with her if he couldn't find her. It's no different now. She ran from King's Landing for fear, to the safest place she knows, and she sits on her mountain, hoping everyone will forget her. 
Oh, that line. Liza was never brave. When mm-hmm. we were girls, she would run and hide whenever she'd done something wrong. This is like the ultimate sirens. Between this and the last chapter of Tyrion like realizing, oh, they did this to Liza. Mm-hmm. Liza killed John Aaron. Sirens are going off right yeah. now in the background. Yeah. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Liza did it. Yeah. You know, first read, you don't read it at all. But second read, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Great point. A lot of things happening in this these chapters between one another. Rob explains that the Knights of the Vale could change everything for them. All sorts of battle plans. If Liza would just open the gates and provide ships that would take them north to Galltown, then they could land at White Harbor, and then they could flank at Moat Kaelin and drive the Ironmen out in half a year. This is a dream. This is straight up, like, first of all, this is a dream statement. Even Brendan the Blackfish is like, okay, that's not going to happen, kid. <laughs> oh, <that's> so sad. <laughs> but yeah. It is sad. But I do like this because I'm curious. I think this might be how Sansa brings in the Knights of the Vale. Mm. This exact yep. plan that the Knights of the Vale could, if she opened the gates, provided ships to take them north at Goldtown, they would land at White Harbor, flank Moat Kalen, drive the Ironmen out in half a year. Uh, I think that's how they could maybe do this. Flank Moat Kalen and trap the Boltons. Could happen. Could happen. Something to pay attention yeah. to when Sansa comes home, I think. I think that language is important. It, it does feel important. I think that's a great catch and idea for how that'll manifest. We'll find out next week in the Winter Winter. <laughs> but the Blackfish does agree. Like I said, he's like, this isn't going to happen, Rob. This <laughs> that's, is like that's, fantasy that's talk. That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> And and Rob then is like, fine, fuck Liza. May the others take her and Rickard and Theon and Walder and Tywin. This is like a this is just a house Stark thing, you know. As as the story goes on, they love <laughs> making lists of murder, like murder name lists. It's it's a family hobby. Stark as fuck. <laughs> Scrapbook that shit. Uh, burn book. <sighs> Gods be good. Why would any man ever want to be king? When everyone was shouting, King in the North! King in the North! I told myself, swore to myself, that I would be a good king, as honourable as father, strong, just, loyal to my friends, and brave when I faced my enemies. Now, I can't even tell one from the other. How did it all get so confused? Lord Rickards fought at my side in half a dozen battles. His sons died for me in the Whispering Wood. Tion Frey and Willem Lannister were my enemies. Yet now I have to kill my dead friend's father for their sakes. He looked at them all. Will the Lannisters thank me for Lord Rickards' head? Will the Freys? No, said Brendan Blackfish, blunt as ever. All the more reason to spare Lord Rickard's life and keep him hostage, Enyar urged. Rob reached down with both hands, lifted the heavy bronze and iron crown, and set it back atop his head. And suddenly, he was a king again. Lord Rickard dies. But why? said Enyar. You said yourself. I know what I said, uncle. It does not change what I must do. The swords in his crown stood stark and black against his brow. In battle I might have slain Tian and Willem myself, but this, this was no battle. They were asleep in their beds, 
naked and unarmed, in a cell where I put them. Rickard Carstark killed more than a fray in a Lannister. He killed my honor. I shall deal with him at dawn. <sighs> Big words, Rob. Big words, and Rob has followed Ned's plot thread, right? Save the children. That is the big plot thread. He is doing what Ned could not do. He's wielding the power Ned didn't really have, right, to save these children. But, unfortunately, he still has to swing the sword. Kill Karstark. Karstark purposefully did all this. He purposefully decided to be a ticking time bomb to take Rob out with him. He said these things publicly that Rob couldn't ignore, like, purposefully. He purposefully insulted Rob's mom. Mm -hmm. He purposefully goaded Rob, calling him a boy, disrespecting him very blatantly because he knows he's going down. He wants to do the most damage to the Stark campaign as he can at this point. After this, he calls Rob a kinslayer, even though it's not really kinslaying. I mean, I their bloodline is farther apart than Robert and Rhaegar. He's doing it on purpose. He does this because he wants Rob to look as fucking shitty as he can. He wants his campaign to falter past his expiration. When Rob says, I told myself, I swore to myself I'd be a good king, as honorable as father, strong, just, loyal to my friends, brave when I faced my enemies. Now I can't tell one from the other. It's just a redux of the end of Clash, right? All those vows, they make you swear and swear, and just like Ned, who had to play that line of hypocrisy and complexity till the moment he died of giving his enemies this decency and respect to give a shit about their brutalized children that have been thrown at the new king's doorstep. Is that how you secure a kingdom? With the blood of children? That's not what Rob wants to secure his kingdom on. That's such a, that, that's such a great comparison of Ned and Rob, and you know, and, and this line and that you've called out of, like, how he can't even tell his enemies from his friends, right? I mean, obviously, that's the dilemma that Ned felt in that same moment that you're talking about, where he was presented with the children's bodies. He's like, Robert, would it be good a war for if not to stop the killing of innocents? And then a, the line gets even muddier, right? When he gets to the Tower of Joy it's so clear in that moment and starts to get muddier. He's like, well, these are my heroes. Why am I killing my heroes? And then yeah. when he's in that tower and he finds Liana, right? Likely with baby John. That's, I think that's where the line gets muddiest. Who are my enemies and who are my friends? John here, the son of the man who kidnapped his sister and also his nephew, his blood. It's crazy because at the end it does come down to what's honor. Yeah. Right? It, it comes down yeah, to that speech. Absolutely. Like every single horrible predicament of these comes down to what's honor against a your family, against a horse, <laughs> against a newborn child. <laughs> it, it's rough. Like, I'm not even trying to be cheesy, though, because that is the answer. Like, that speech is the answer to all of this. Yeah. And I, I, I almost, like, think, like, when I said it in the context of that speech, I was joking when I said a horse, but I mean, like... That is kind of what it is, right? Like, what is honor? It's a fucking horse. Who cares about fucking honor compared to, yeah, compared to Holding love. Holding your loved ones close? Yeah. yeah. love. It's love. It's keeping your loved ones safe. It's protecting the people you can. I mean, that's like real life, yeah. right? Like, we have no control over the fucking bullshit that this world goes through. 
half the time and all we can do is just like love each other the best we can yeah you know it's a horse Damn. compared to all that george did unless you that. love that horse then fuck um fuck i love that horse. <laughs> i mean he might <laughs> that happens a lot in these books too um <laughs> So by dawn, the storm is diminished to a soaking rain. The gods' wood is crowded. River lords, northmen, knights, sellswords, stable boys all stand to see the end of the night's dark dance. And Edmure had commanded a headsman block be set up before the heart tree. And the great John leads a bound, Rickard Stark, through the falling rain and leaves. Carsrick's men, uh, as ordered, they are hanged from River Run's walls, and the rain is washing down their darkening faces. Long Loose stood at the ready. But Rob then takes his poleaxe, ordering him aside. This is my work. He dies at my word. He must die by my hand. Lord Rickard Carstark dipped his head stiffly. For that much, I thank you. But for naught else. Carstark dressed for death. He wore a black wool surcoat. His house's sunburst emblazoned upon it in white. Carstark reminds him, we both have the blood of the first men. He says he was named for his grandfather, their kin, Stark and Karstark. But then Rob's like, yes, but that didn't stop you from betraying me, and now you must kneel. The Karstarks were distant cousins, Kat thinks. They traced their descent to Carlin Stark, a young son who put down a rebel lord, ha, 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 <laughs> and was granted lands for his valor. A little on the nose or on the neck, oh. you could say. Oh, his castle, Carl's Hold, became Carhold, and eventually they became Carhold Starks, the Karstarks. That's a great catch. I didn't I didn't notice that before regarding the Rebel Lord and the Valor. Hmm. Interesting. And you know, Honor. speaking of things that happened a long time ago, how Catelyn <laughs> thinks that she had gotten came to the north, right, a thousand years ago. This one actually did allegedly happen about a thousand years ago. And I just am gonna say, like, as you said before, right? Like I don't know if it really counts as kinsling after like a thousand years, and as you pointed out, like Robert and Rhaegar, like that was way closer than this, and way way more basically kinsling. Um, even though nobody talks about it as such. And I mean, I mean, in general, right, this whole talk, it sets the stage, right, for the story and the book as a whole for when we come back around to Tyrion killing Tywin at the end of the book. Uh, but I think it also raises another question for me of what the story explores, right, of, you know, after a thousand years with so little blood shared and less of those familial ties, like I said, I mean, I just don't really see Rickard Karstark dying as kinsling uh, because I don't see him as family like yeah his sons were friends with rob but if anything i think that the perception of theon killing the stark boys even even though as we know he didn't but like theon being called a kinslayer for the murder of bran and rickon like that feels to me even more true to call him a kinslayer for that and the story is i think constantly asking us what is family? What ties people together? What are the ties of blood versus the ties of love? Uh, and also this really important part about found family, right? Because like we, I mean, obviously Tyrion and Tywin, that's, that's pretty straightforward kinsling, but there was little, there was so little, the, the love there is very complex and not really felt. There was so much hatred mixed in as well. Um, and I also think there's something behind this line 
coming back to the end, where, where Rob says to Karstark, This kinship did not stop you from betraying me, and it will not save you. Because Rob is also, he's on his own path, but I think it's a somewhat similar path to Catelyn, right? Who's on her way to Lady Stoneheart. And Catelyn survives grief after grief, but Rob's surviving all this betrayal as well and this pressure. Like, how could this, like, ancient alleged kinship really stop his hand in this beheading when it's not going to stop his man if he were to confront um, the man that he loved like a brother, Theon Greyjoy. If he can carry all this coldness and hate for Theon and want to kill him, then Rickard's shit out of luck. There's no mercy for Rickard if he has none for Theon. That's a really great point, and I didn't think about Theon at this point, as far as, like, who Rob wishes he was cutting the head off of, right? Like, yeah. It is a little bit of projection, now that you say that. Part of it really is, like, the brother that I fucking chose ruined my life. Yeah. Uh, That's there. That's definitely there. And it does feel, you know, there's something interesting behind the fact that, like, Robert and Rhaegar are cousins. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that could be from George Gardening, right, from the early stage. Like, maybe he didn't really understand the closeness he wanted the Baratheon-Targaryen regime to have next to each other at first. Hmm. Yeah. Um, because he doesn't boast that relation, right? Like, he does not play the cousin angle for Robert and Rhaegar at all yeah. as we read this series. It is not played upon. It's not boasted. But here, this is brought up. and. It's brought up significantly throughout these couple chapters of Karstark and Stark being so close in name and sigil and land, but not at all. Uh, and he doesn't play on Robert and Rhaegar at all in comparison to that. So it does make you think, like, this is his chance to actually expand on that naturally, I think, since he didn't want to before. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, like, it's so strange. I think, I kind of wonder, like, does he not want us to, like, notice it? But... I think he just didn't think about it. I really do think yeah. like he didn't know at first that's what he was going to have happen. But now he's like, uh, maybe just don't think about this as Kim's like. <laughs> yeah. He was like, the book series will be over like real fast. No one's really going to think about it and notice it. Then here we are. He thought it was going to be three John books. John kills Liana at the end. Yeah. So. Well, we have then this heavy scene of... Old gods are new and makes no matter, Lord Rickard told her son. No man is so accursed as the kinslayer. Kneel, traitor, Rob said again. Or must I have them force your head onto the block? Lord Karstark knelt. The gods shall judge you as you have judged me. He laid his head upon the block. Rickard Karstark. Lord of Carhold, Rob lifted the heavy axe with both hands. Here in the sight of gods and men, I judge you guilty of murder and high treason. In mine own name, I condemn you. With mine own hand, I take your life. Would you speak a final word? Kill me and be cursed. You are no king of mine. <sighs> Well, it takes three blows for the axe to sever his head. And when it is done, both the living and the dead are drenched in blood. Puberty's so weird, beheading your first man. 
Rob flings his axe down, turning to the heart tree, shaking, his hands half-clenched in the rain running down his cheeks. Big Arthur vibes. And by that I mean Arthur the Aardvark. Oh, yeah, there's something really interesting here going on with the executions. You know, Rob does this execution in his own name. And when we think about some of the other executions happening in the story, uh, I think a lot of people say Rob's mistakes here are because he was trying to be too much like his father, but I kind of disagree. The way Rob does his duty here is not like Ned's. When Ned executes Garrod, he does it in Robert's name, not his own. He invokes Robert's office as his extension of power, but when he see him create the beginnings of the Brotherhood without banners, for example, in the throne room, we see him use the king's name as more of a triumphant declaration of justice. Here, Rob takes all of this in his own name, as King Rob. It feels like Rob is trying to be better than some of the shortcomings he knows that his father had, whether it's last chapter, right, in Ned failing to protect his bastard son, as well as failing to respect his wife, or here, where Ned's killings were in Robert's name. Ned hated killing. We know the killing literally tore apart Ned's soul. Here, Rob's first kill. Uh, his entire reign as king has been threatened by Karstark, who thinks their distant relation, as well as his loyalty to Ned on the Trident, should be enough to save him. He points out this is not Ned's kingdom. Rob's actions show this is not Robert's kingdom. This is King Rob's kingdom. It's also very much set up like a duel of sorts, right? Like a duel for honor. Meet me at dawn mm. for your dishonor. And on that complete other side, later, we see John execute Janos Slint, who also has done the same thing here that Karstark has. He's disrespected John's leadership and his honor so deeply affected that John doesn't even give a name or a speech. He says, Janos, do you have last words? And then he kills him. John, like Arya, who just washed her hands clean at mm. the end of Clash for her first execution in the reign of a Bolton guard, John has become no one in that killing. But the other execution that does come to mind, full of guilt and full of a reign coming to an end, is actually from Clash of Kings, a yeah. boy that we've covered before, trying to live up and into Ned's footsteps, but in different ways. Theon, executing Farlin. Theon sat in judgment, called him guilty, condemned him to death. Even that went sour. As he knelt to the block, the kennelmaster said, My lord Eddard always did his own killings. Theon had to take the axe himself or look a weakling. His hands were sweating, so the shaft twisted in his grip as he swung, and the first blow landed between Farland's shoulders. It took three more cuts to hack through all the bone and muscle and sever the head from the body. Afterward, he was sick, remembering all the times they'd sat over a cup of mead, talking of hounds and hunting. I had no choice, he wanted to scream at the corpse. The Ironborn can't keep secrets. They had to die, and someone had to take the blame for it. He only wished he had killed him cleaner. Ned Stark had never needed more than a single blow to take a man's head. It's interesting that both Rob and Theon have to take the same three yeah amount of cuts and uh, you never know, needed more than a single blow to take a man's head. You know, in their defense, Ned had a Valyrian steel sword. 
Okay, that's true. That's and he only he used a great it for these sword. purposes. Yeah, he had a Valyrian steel like great sword, which has like the the weight and also the sharpness. So I'm like, that's not. I feel like that's not, not fault, as boys. fair, you know. And yeah, they're like what spindly and like what sixteen and nineteen. <laughs> They need more time yeah. to develop. All right, like they don't have much going on. Is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they're not like fully like. Anyways, so I Formed. I just like feel bad for them. You can't hold yourself to that standard. Um, but that that's also really interesting that bringing in of Arya, Arya there, and also the the line. You know, the language for Arya is like exact that she turns her head into the rain and washes the blood away and she's just like the rain will wash the blood away which is what rob does after this Mm. there's so many connections between all of those yeah like with as you called out the language there in aria and even the language here in the theon right the idea of like he had no choice Mm -hmm. i mean same with rob he's pushed into a corner right yeah, so interesting. Looking that at Rob's reign here yeah. compared to Theon, like that is something I don't think when we went through Theon I thought about much. But now reading through Rob, they're both pushed into an absolute corner. Yeah, everybody puts these babies into a corner. <laughs> My fuck, get the fuck out. <laughs> well, forgive me, as Catelyn thinks no. in that moment. Gods forgive him, Catelyn prayed in silence. He is only a boy, and he had no other choice. That was the last she saw of her son that day. Wow, we just said the same thing, Catelyn. Good, great minds. And also, um, yeah, he, he is only a boy. It's, like, really not fair. Again, Ned had a Valyrian greatsword. Mm-hmm. Valyrian steel greatsword. Um... The rain turns the godswood to mud and puddles. Continuing on all morning, the Blackfish assembles a hundred men to ride out after the Karstarks, though no one expects him to find that many. When he leaves, Catelyn retreats to Hoster Solar, sitting beside him. Vyman later warns her that it would not be long. Hoster still tries to fight, but his life is fleeting, and Cat calls him a fighter. Then we have this line of, but the maester says that this battle he cannot win. It is time he lay down his sword and shield. Time to yield. And then also, to make a peace, she thinks. But is it Hoster he speaks of? Or her son? The metaphors. They're all happening, these metaphors. Mm. At Evenfall, Jane Westerling seeks Catalan's guidance. Cat welcomes her, calling her her grace. Jane's like, oh, please just call me by my name. I don't feel like a grace. But Cat says, you are one, nonetheless. She sits at the hearth with her, anxiously, asking, What should I do as wife to help calm Rob's misery and anger? Cat explains, taking a man's life is hard. Jane agrees. She says, He should use a headsman, like Lord Tywin. Cat's like, Well, yes, that's easier, but my husband taught them that killing shouldn't be easy. Oh, she Jane said, responds. And then she began to scream. <laughs> Pretty much. She's like, I guess I never thought of it that way, that killing could be bad. Hmm. Jane says Rob hadn't eaten all day. He even refused supper that Rollum brought to him. Boar ribs, stewed onions, ale. I would eat that. And I'm so mad. He spent all morning writing a letter, telling Jane not to disturb him. But at the end, he ends up burning the letter when he's done. Now he sits, gazing at maps. 
He hasn't changed his damp and bloody clothes. And when she speaks to him, she says it's like he doesn't even hear her. <sighs> oh, Rob, he killed the boy. Hmm. He killed the boy. He killed and now the man the is there. And that man. He also killed that other man, yeah. too. Yeah, that too. So I find the letter very interesting here that Rob is writing something. Mm-hmm. It could be the beginning of his will or, you know, a lot of people theorize it could have been negotiations to Tywin. I think that's probably most likely since he's losing and the numbers don't add up. As Catalan says earlier, she doesn't have to be a commander to understand the numbers. Yeah. And this is this is before Duskendale hits, right? Uh in the last chapter, we have Tywin winning wars with Quills, strengthening another set of alliances and betrayals to come ruin Rob's life. But Duskendale hasn't even hit yet. At, at the end of A Clash of Kings in Arya's chapters, we have her serving under Roos. A rider from Sir Helman had come two days past. Tallheart men had taken the castle of the Darius, accepting the surrender of its Lannister garrison after a brief siege. Tell him to put the captives to the sword and the castle to the torch, by command of the king. Then he's to join forces with Robet Glover and strike east toward Duskendale. Those are rich lands, hardly touched by fighting. It's time they had a taste. Glover has lost a castle. Tallheart a son. Let them take their vengeance on Duskendale. I shall prepare the message for your seal, my lord. So, Bolton fucks around on Rob real hard here, right? Sending these men east where they don't need to go. There's no reason for them to go to Duskendale. And when this news does hit soon, it's Roos's first major sign of betrayal. Um, and, and I love it's coming from Arya's chapters, right? Because we don't quite see it because of that, because of the way it's delivered. We don't understand why this news is happening, just that it's happening. And we don't really know the effects until pretty much last Tyrion chapter, right? That's what cements it when Tyrion says, Duskendale? There's nothing at Duskendale worth such a risk. Have the young wolf finally blundered? And Tywin says, it's nothing you need trouble yourself with. Hmm. It's all over but the crying, Eliana. <laughs> Damn. And the dying, as we're going to find out. And the dying. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think that's really interesting, the idea that it could have been negotiations with Tywin. I hadn't considered that, but it very well Giving might have in. Been. Yeah, I mean... It's over. I mean, that, that's what... You lost the phrase, you lost the car starts, what's next? Right, and that's not like... I guess Rob thinks he can't, he's pushed into a corner, but at the same time, that's... I mean, that's what Tor instructed, right? He would have rather mm-hmm. that everyone lived than... Then risk it. And that's what Catalan's hoped for, right, this whole time, yeah. is that Rob will be wise enough to take off the crown and set it down to protect his people at some point. Uh, but this chapter kind of proved he won't <laughs> do that at all, ever. Yeah. Well, despairing, Jane asks how to be a good wife to Rob she doesn't know if she should cheer him or comfort him, and she pleads for Catelyn's help. We have this passage of, Catelyn might have asked the same if her father had been well enough to ask. But Lord Hoster was gone or near enough. Her Ned as well. Bran and Rickon too, and Mother and Brandon so long ago. Only Rob remained to her. Rob and the fading hope of her daughters. 
Sometimes, Catelyn said slowly, the best thing you can do is nothing. When I first came to Winterfell, I was hurt whenever Ned went to the godswood to sit beneath his heart tree. Part of his soul was in that tree, I knew, a part I would never share. Yet without that part, I soon realized he would not have been Ned. Jane, child, you have wed the North as I did, and in the North the winters will come. She tried to smile. Be patient. Be understanding. He loves you, and he needs you, and he will come back to you soon enough. This very night, perhaps. Be there when he does. That is all I can tell you. Be there with open legs, Catelyn says. That's kind of what she actually does say in like a second. <laughs> That's literally it. The young queen is inspired by this, Eliana. Yeah. Jane is inspired. She says, I will be there. I should hurry back in case he missed me. He didn't, just so you know. He didn't miss you <laughs> in That's the so two sad. minutes you left. Yeah. Not to be a dick, but I'm just saying. He did not miss you. Jane. Honestly, Rob should have hit it and quit it if he was going to drag this girl through all this shit. Yeah. God. Cat calls after her saying, oh, Jane, there's one last thing. You know, a king needs to have an heir. She and did Jane say. smiles. Yeah. She did. She smiles at this. My mother says the same. She makes a posset for me. Herbs and milk and ale to help make me fertile. I drink it every morning. I told Rob, I'm sure to give him twins. <laughs> and Eddard and a Brandon. He liked that, I think. We we try most every day, my lady. Sometimes twice or more. Okay. <laughs> the girl blushed very prettily. I'll be with child soon. I promise. I pray to our mother above every night. <laughs> you pray to the mother after uh, you have sex. Oh, uh, how could you bear to look at her, first of all? Aren't we all ashamed? God. Um, <laughs> no, this sucks hard. Like, you don't think about it at all on first read. And look, if I had read only cat haha, chapters, only cat chapters my whole time, I would have caught this, but it's right there, right? Like, a posset of herbs, milk, mm, ale. Yeah. With tansy and mint and wormwood, a spoon of honey, a drop of pennyroyal. And you don't even get that until Jamie's chapters. I just, poor Jane. Jane Defense Club. Yeah. You gotta look out for those girls. I'm really starting to get worried, you know? Like, if you're born into a song of ice and fire and your name is Jane, yeah, right? it's not good for you. I agree. That's, that's already, like, a negative 20% health hit. And God, I do have to say, like, this is... Not just if you read cat chapters, you'd get it, but on reread with the Tyrion chapter right before, we get the answer, right? In the chapter before this from Tyrion, the crag is not so far from Tarbeck and Castamere, Tyrion pointed out. You'd think the Westerlings might have ridden past and seen the lesson there. Mayhaps they have, Lord Tywin said. They're well aware of Castamere, I promise you. Could the Westerlings and Spicers be such great fools as to believe the wolf can defeat the lion? Every once in a long while, Lord Tywin would threaten to smile. He never did, but the threat alone was terrible to behold. The greatest fools are oft times more clever than the men who laugh at them, Tywin said. And then you will marry Sansa Stark, Tyrion, and soon. 
<laughs> There's your answer. Hmm. Yeah. You tie that marriage up and I'll deal with the rest. Indeed, indeed. Huh. Damn. How long has he been waiting to say that line, right? Like, since he was, since maybe what, Tywin was a teenager too? Yeah. With uh, what happened to his dad. But. Fuck. There's also, like, I feel it, it's really tempting. There's a lot I want to say here about Rob. We've talked about Rob a lot this episode. Uh, but I feel like we got to save some thoughts for our Rob episode. So. <laughs> I will I will refrain. I will restrain myself on like uh I guess Jane and Rob. And as we set up top, like I do think it feels really important that Sansa's brought up so often in this chapter. And it's really interesting because her fate, you know, she is so close to the Lannisters right now, uh, the enemy house, and Jane is kind of in a similar position to what Sansa mm. had been in, right? Until recently where, you know, Sansa yes. was betrothed to a king and now Jane's married to a king. Very, very close. And Kat does her best to make Jane feel at ease. Last chapter. The catch is, you know, with everything going on and like Catelyn being in bad headspace and grieving and just having like committed treason also kind of her best and trying to make Jane feel comfortable. It's just like not a lot. It's like two lines. It's not a lot. But <laughs> now, now yeah. Right. Now now they're really getting to interact and Jane is coming to Catelyn for womanly guidance. And I think and I kind of compare it, right, to Cersei and Sansa's interactions. It's different in a way from Cersei kind of just like forcing her womanly guidance on Sansa and was like, Sansa, listen to me. Let me tell you when you get to be my age. And uh, Cersei's marriage... Though it is similar to Sansa's, right? Like, it's with a man that she finds brutish and she dislikes, much as Sansa's relationship is with Joffrey. And Cersei does recognize those parallels between her and Sansa and kind of then projects a lot onto her. Whereas I think <laughs> Jane and Kat, they have similar situations also, as, as Kat points out, right? They've wedded men with similar, very dour dispositions in the middle of war. These men, they're very distant. And they were also grieving a huge, like, familial loss, like a, the deaths of their fathers and brothers. And like Cersei, Kat imparts her wisdom. And you know what? At first, at first, when I was thinking about all this, I was like, they're really different the way that Cersei and Kat approach these, uh, this life advice, um, in that, you know, Kat doesn't really force these harsh realities onto Jane in the same way that Cersei does to Sansa, but upon further reflection of reading these, I think that the nature of the advice that Catelyn passes on to Jane is actually quite similar in some ways to how Cersei does with Sansa, because the circumstances and attitude that Kat brings, yeah, it's a little different. There's less bitterness, right? There's more love, more patience in her advice, but it's still very much the same sort of sense of bracing Jane for the future and what this marriage will entail, especially like that emotional weight that it's going to take. And whereas I feel like Cersei's ruminations and advice are much more, they lean more into that emotional aspect of what this is going to mean. Kat's advice is more focused on duty. There is, I think, an element of Cersei's advice that is kind of about duty, but I think it's more of about what you have to endure in performing that duty uh, this and being in that position. Whereas Kat's advice is more of like how to live up to those expectations about duty, not just survive. They're much more kind of like aspirational within like that, you know, traditional Westerosi sentence. 
And Kat and her duty reminds Jane, they remind Jane that she has to provide Rob an heir. Whereas, interestingly, I think Cersei, you know, when, when this comes up in the conversation between Cersei and Sansa, she sort of more of just agrees with Sansa when she's pointing out like, oh, now that you've had your moon blood, yeah, that does mean you're going to need to be, you know, wedded and bedded. And like Sansa says that she must bear children for the king. And I will say, again, Cersei... What she does is she talks about how horrible and the pain was of it, right? Catelyn doesn't talk about the pain in the same way. Cersei really brings up that visceral aspect. But she doesn't really say that Sansa has to produce an heir. Just bear children. Because, you know, after all, Cersei doesn't really do her duty, right? She doesn't really bear Robert an heir. Uh, like Sansa, Cersei also finds her small rebellions and kind of plays a role in the death of her king, which also Liza Aaron does too. That's a really, just a great picturesque way to look at it, because there is something interesting happening, right, uh, in Clash when Cersei says, like you said, she doesn't command her to bear children. She just says, well, you'll have to have children somehow. Yeah, uh, She doesn't just... say the how, what, or why. She's not going to project yeah. quite that onto her of what she's supposed to do. Uh, there's also the fact that Sansa comes bleeding that she's mm. going to bear children for the king, right? And she knows that's the right thing to do and the right thing to say. And where does she know that from? Well, you turn to Catelyn, who is saying to Jane, yeah. almost just like a heartbeat, right? Like, And surely you're ready to pop some kids out, right? Because you know that comes with the job description. And Cersei also especially seems now to know that comes war. with it. Yeah, especially with a war with no heirs around since all the men are dying and, you know, your daughter is now m getting married to a traitor pretty soon, as you'll learn, uh, or to, you know, your enemy. But, like, Jane, she almost approaches it like, well, you know it's expected, Jane, but just to reiterate, get working on those kids just in case you weren't already. And Jane's like, oh, we are all the time. You know, my hole is open for Rob. Oh. I am. It is out there. Rob's ready. I'm ready. But Cersei doesn't do that which is interesting and i think that's a very interesting comparison of like cat is so wrapped up in these societal tendencies that she says well you know what's expected of you so i don't have to actually really say it if i don't need to but i'm gonna have some kids and cersei who's lived those same societal expectations that have ripped her apart says just have kids sansa make it happen and they'll make you happier in the end hmm yeah, she's like, yeah, this is, I guess, it's interesting, because like, it is still what's expected of you, but it's not, like, the, the spirit of it is so different. The cheat code. Yeah, well, it, Sansa, it is the you cheat can code. Do it, it is the cheat code. But you don't have to do it exactly. You can do it your own way, and no one's gonna know. They don't, they right. can't check yet, surprise. Because, like, uh, yeah, Cersei, even, she was like, I, I mean, she just... When she didn't have to, right? She just would, like, I, basically just gives Robert, I guess, hand jobs, I guess. And whereas <laughs> Catelyn would have done the whole die. thing. Yeah. Well, and to that same extent, there's also a little bit of, like, Catelyn just believes her king's son is perfect, right? Uh, and, and there's no, I mean, he's trying, Cersei completely, <laughs> he is trying, and I'm yeah. not saying he's bad at all. We love Rob. But Cersei, she knows her son is flawed she yeah. kind of insinuates as much to sansa in a clash of kings and she's like yes joffrey hmm good luck on that one sansa 
Uh, but she straight up says that to her. She's like, yeah. yes, I know Joffrey's kind of a pest. He's not great. Good luck with that worm. Uh, and Catelyn kind of assumes that Rob is just the perfect end-all, be-all king husband for Jane. Like, you wanted it. Here's what you get. And it is unfair because Rob is emotionally disconnected. Jane is mm-hmm. trying during this time, right? While also being manipulated, it seems, by her mother and taking potions from her mother to boost fertility. Uh, Jane's pretty, you know, she's she's very vulnerable right now, too. Yeah. And Rob is cold and hardened and in pain, emotional pain from what he's had to deal with and pushing her away. So it, it does feel like a harsher sentence what Catelyn kind of handed to her like well you are making babies right because that's your job and you're not good for anything else yeah you will receive love from this family but only if you meet these expectations yes the conditional like love with- that Catelyn yes. has shown her family yes the same reason why Arya is like scared to go home yeah and I mean Liza being scared to go home right that's the household they were oh. raised in there and, it is. and even even Brendan Blackfish, right? Yeah, I think absolutely. Host, obviously, Hoster, I guess, actually loved them. He just did a bad job, a really, really yeah. bad job. Um, and <laughs> you know, Catelyn, as as you've pointed out, right? She loves Arya, and and we see that. Mm-hmm. But but Jane, there's no, she doesn't feel any sort of real connection or responsibility to Jane, right? I mean, she's just a girl who's come in and is actually cut. Especially because she's not afraid. She's also, like, fucked up the the shit. I mean, it's not really Jane's fault, right? But there's no denying that, like, Jane is a representation of, like, there goes all our plans. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so she's even more of an in a spot of, you know, conditional. Yeah. She's not even, like, yeah. Sansa is obviously, like, a, a useful hostage. Jane is not. She's not a hostage at all. She brings nothing. But love uh, and support to Rob. And he doesn't appreciate that. curls. Yeah, because there's a lot. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on with everyone. And Catelyn is. Good hips. Even Catelyn's not in a place to appreciate it. Yeah, but I will say, after speaking to Jane, Catelyn is pleased. Yeah. Right? She, she is pleased after the conversation. And she promises herself she'll add her prayers to the old gods and new. And when the girl has gone, she turns to her father in his solar. An Eddard and a Brandon, she sighed softly. And perhaps, in time, a hoster. Would you like that? He did not answer, but she had never expected that he would. As the sound of the rain on the roof mingled with her father's breathing, she thought about Jane. The girl did seem to have a good heart, just as Rob had said, and good hips, which might be more important. Cat, can't just say that. <sighs> well, I mean, Cat is thinking of their legacy, right? Just as, you know, again, comparing it all back to, I mean, maybe that's what Hoster was doing, right? Cat's just thinking of their legacy. Hoster was too, and he put that legacy ahead of everything. But as as also you pointed out earlier, Jane's being forced to take those abortificient slash contraceptives without her knowledge, again, creating a parallel with the lies and Hoster situation, and for it to happen around this language, right, of of Cat mm-hmm. speaking to her father and thinking of Jane's birthing hips and also Jane's hopes her really big hopes right after getting married of having a child 
And so it's like those sins of Hoster coming back around. Now it now it's like haunting, like maybe cursing his grandchild, uh, not just in the veil with with uh, Liza withholding her strength, but in a mirror of what he did to Liza, happening to Jane from her mother, and Jane being used as a political pawn by her family. And I, I would say, you know, possibly is it even worse that it's her own mother doing this to her daughter, her own mother's machinations, especially as her mother being a woman inflicting this harm knows like what that means and is perpetuating that. I don't know, like justice, but it, it's still yeah. again, very much like how Liza was used by Hoster in the last war. Same here with this war. It is. It's warfare on her body. Yeah. It's, it's so upsetting. Um, and I have to say it's like expertly woven in by George for this. Mm -hmm. These arcs are started at similar times and woven together Liza's art coming to the forefront of what actually happened to her, not just her being some crazy shrill girl, you know, that's not who she is. Like, there's a reason why she became this person. And uh, it, it's interesting to me to watch, like, Liza and Jane come to the forefront of being these faces, yeah. these marriage faces of a rebellion, right? Because Cat mm -hmm. and Liza were very important to marry these men in the middle of a war. It was a very symbolic marriage. It was for swords, as we all know. But at the time, it was a big marriage to bring these sides together, to, to cement an alliance. And yeah, I, I feel for Jane. I feel really bad for Jane. I mean, yeah. I think it's very fair to say she had no clue. No yeah. clue. Absolutely. <sighs> yeah. Now I suddenly see in this, and I should have mentioned this last time, now I see why Hoster insisted that they all get married before the war starts, looking at what happened with Rob. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is a mess now. I get it, too. It, like, it oh, is okay. <laughs> it... it it is very Robert's Rebellion in these ways, too. There's so much Robert's Rebellion happening. The dead kids, the secret marriages and the pacts and the betrayals. Rhaegar's supposed to be married to Elia. Rob's supposed to be married to a Frey. Oh, but wait, last second, switch yeah. over. And I do have to add, as we end the episode today, I do have to add that Kat wistfully says, and maybe even a hoster. No one ever <laughs> wants to name their child Hoster. I kind of agree. First of all, I wouldn't. And uh, it, it's kind of funny because no one said that. Jane did not say that. But Catalan's like, and maybe someday Hoster. Hoster to her dad as he dies. And no one's going to name their motherfucking son Hoster. Yeah, like I... <sighs> So, I don't know where the name Hoster comes from, but I'm also just, like, even outside of, like, the Hoster, like, Tully thing, I just don't like it as a name, alright? Like, I just don't think it's a very appealing name. Um, again, I don't know its, its roots, but Urban Dictionary has a term for Hoster, or it says Hoster, I don't know. But Urban Dictionary has said, Term given to middle-aged men who are still single and only just recently moved out of their parents' home or still live at home, usually work a lot and make no time for romance, not that they can even get girls. I'm like, damn, this is so harsh. But I, I don't know. I, turn the, <laughs> I, I guess I associate the term Hoster with like livestock, and I don't know why. It's not like a flattering name. Well, it's funny. You Sorry say that, if any of you are named Hoster or anything similar. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry about your my, life. My bad. I'm so uh, sorry for shitting on your name. <laughs> well, it is so. It comes from host, right? Host 
to host a sojourner, visitor, guest, oh. uh, an owner, a host, a husband. Right. So to give you a little etymology, it is Middle English and Old uh. French. Yeah. It's still like not like, I don't know, does not sound cool, right? I probably wouldn't name my child after him. I'd name my kid Walder before I named it Hoster. Like ignoring like all the context of these books, just going purely by I name sounds. That. Well, if I like had never read these books and someone just put the names Walder and Hoster in front of me, I'd be like, I'm going to pick Walder. Hmm. Okay, so Eliana would name her child after a fray. Jot that one down, everyone. I mean, I've got a... My name is, like, similar to... She's kind of a fray. She's related, like a viperin, technically. You Eliana viperin. She's in the books, allegedly. <laughs> Eliana, you came first. I actually did, for once. God damn it. That's not, that never that's, happens with George. I know, right? Every now and then I say that's true, and, like, I'm lying you have to think about it for a second <laughs> yeah like i'm lying like but sometimes it could be true it definitely could be true oh my god <laughs> like face off uh, in jurassic park um anyway i think we did a good job keeping it kind of lighthearted. <laughs> fuck fuck off eliana jesus god damn it it gets worse everyone next week sucks next week sucks next catalan episode sucks catalan four get ready for sad shit to go down like hoster's death right isn't that soon yeah yeah hoster's death rob losing more of his kingdom yeah shit getting worse sansa getting married it's all coming it's all great death this is fine this is fine yeah the house is on fire and this is fine that's Uh, them thanks so much for listening to us as we get deeper and deeper into the dumpster fire of the end of House Tully here. <laughs> the fire, but that fire is going to bring her back. Oh, fire white. And if you want to talk about bringing back Cat or other things, you can reach us over at social media and Twitter at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, or You know, you could send us an email or a message telling us what you thought about this episode, last episode, or pictures of your animals if you have cats, dogs, birds, chinchillas. Mm. I mean, we'll take them all. Any photo you have, send us a picture of your animal at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Wait, if you have a chinchilla, I do want to see it. Please send. I love a chinchilla. Please send Mm -hmm, it. Please, mm -hmm. God. And, of course... Besides sending us things, you can subscribe to us to keep up with our episodes. Next week, we are going to do a His Dark Materials episode, but we are going to be back with Kat in October. And if you want to make sure that you catch that episode, make sure to hit subscribe on Podbean, where these are all hosted. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Audible, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Audible... Acast, Stitcher, Overcast, and anywhere else that Google tells you that you could subscribe to us, probably. Yeah, and if that's not enough for you, our Patreon does have a private RSS feed. It is luxurious. It's to die for. Patreon.com slash Canon. We do a bonus episode on A Song of Ice and Fire every other month, 
Every other other month, we talk about his dark materials or other fantasy fictional pieces that we want to talk about. Last month, we did Ella Enchanted, which was a blast. This month, we are coming back to A Song of Ice and Fire, and we're going to be covering Rob's point of view. So if you are in the stranger tier and above, US $5 and above tier, you will get to see that episode, or sorry, listen to that episode at the end of the month. Yes. And again, we do have a Discord channel. If you would like to join patrons in the Thunder tier and above, get access to Discord. And once a month, we have our brunch slash happy hour, which this month will be on September 26th from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The theme, again, will be Mythos. I am excited for that. Very excited. Thanks so much for listening in this week to Catalan 3. We can't wait to be back with Catalan 4 in A Storm of Swords. I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. See you next time. Goodbye. Stay happy.